Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. What should I avoid as a beginner coach? Do you know when I was I saw the question and I was thinking about this earlier and I was gonna say something just to play devil's advocate, I was sort of thinking, well, you know, we often talk about immersing creating these experiences for players, right? We want players to problem solve. We don't want coaches to give the players the answers, short circuit decision making, because otherwise they're not gonna understand the why. They'll never experience the why. For them, they just, you know, they go through, they'll avoid the mistakes because they've been told what not to do. And I was thinking about this from a coaching perspective, just playing devil's advocate, thinking, well, what should I avoid as a beginner coach? Should there be anything I avoid? Because perhaps there's a counter argument there linked to similar with the players in that, you know, if we if we avoid stuff, um, we're not actually helping ourselves to understand the why. You know, if if we have somebody who's always correcting us and telling us, don't do this, don't do that. But as I keep thinking, just something to ponder, but my initial thoughts are over-talking will be a huge one. Um, Looking at the ball, you know, how much on-ball coaching do you do? Because really, for me, it should be how much off-ball coaching do we do? So even as the ball's in the final third, do we necessarily need to be trying to see everything or what's going on off the ball, around the ball, you know, away from the ball, where we're looking at a defender, goalkeeper, whatever it may be. And uh, I think a big one is over over planning and then to a degree not being flexible enough to be able to adapt. And there's many other things and it will all come out. There's a lot of people, you know, there's people listening at different stages, but I would say First one is tongue-in-cheek comment, but then actually the the point being is that it's okay to make mistakes because equally we're going to hopefully we'll reflect on that and become better as a coach, especially as a beginner coach. So by that, as an example, you know, a lot of people say uh, no drills and things like that. I'm not necessarily a drills guy, but perhaps it's a good opportunity to try practices because if you if you try and become competent, or try certain practice designs by immersing yourself in that experience, perhaps you'll understand better why, you know, shit, the kids are getting bored, you know, 
Um, there's lack of movement. I'm spending more time coaching the drill than I am the players. Perhaps that'll create a learning opportunity. I think just being really comfortable to to try things. Um, so in terms of what should I avoid is not is avoiding like that risk averse because I don't think there's anything wrong with trying stuff as a beginner coach. You're in a great opportunity to make mistakes and learn, and it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because I think there'll be people listening who. I don't know. There'll be certain people who are like, oh, I don't want my kids to be the guinea pigs. But ultimately, at some point, the you know, at some stage, some of these players have, and maybe they always are. We're always trialing things. But I think if you can try to avoid unnecessary stuff like talking too much, giving the players all the instructions, not letting them play, what purely looking at the ball, you know, joystick, all these type of things as a beginner coach and not letting them play enough, you know, treating players like a reward. I think then we're going to, you know, you're going to fall into traps. But again, I, oh, but what, what's your thoughts, Yaz, on all that? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot in there, Gerard. Um, I, I, I do I do definitely take on board and I love the point that you made to start off with around playing devil's advocate in that should there really be anything that people avoid when they're first starting out on their journeys? But I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think there should be things that people should avoid. And I think, um, you know, I fully take on board your point around getting the why behind maybe, you know, leaving certain things behind and, you know, carrying, carrying certain things on if you like. But I think this links into one of the previous conversations we've had around the, you know, the effects of having a mentor, you know, having having a mentor, you know, that's someone that you can trust, but someone who's able to actually package that information in a way where you don't necessarily feel you have to go and get it yourself, because they help you understand the why, help you help you really get that rationale and really get to unpack it without having to necessarily go through the mistakes. And I think, you know, with all of us, we 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 learn differently. Sometimes some of us have to experience it before we before we can realize actually this isn't what we want, um, or. You know, I like to use the analogy of you know when we were younger. I knew not to touch the fire on the ho- on the, on the ho- on the, on the hob because my brother burnt himself. Now I can sit there watching him burn himself all day long, but I ain't gonna do it um, because I can see what it can see see what the outcome of that could be, right? And I think the same is here. If we if we as coaches and you know peers are able to articulate our views, our opinions, our experiences well enough to one another that should be enough, hopefully, for either someone to critique and challenge it back or actually take it on board and think, actually, do you know what? That's fair enough. I don't even need to go down that path because that's not what I'm trying to achieve anyway. However, I think, I think you know, if we want to read into this question a little bit more, it's not necessarily about what I should avoid. Um, I think it's almost as if, what shall I do now? What can I park and what do I need to never do, if that makes sense? Um, more specifically, looking at it from a contextual contextual perspective, and recognizing that there's going to be some things that you do that I might I might like the look of, but actually it's not relevant to the group that I've got in front of me. There's going to be some things that you know Tony does that I, I, I like I like the sound of, but it's not going to be relevant to me right now because the group I've got in front of me, you know, it's not it's not beneficial to them, or it might not be geared around their needs. And you know, I guess the key thing to kind of really think take away from that is. Take ideas from one another, share ideas with one another, um, 
but challenge and check yourself and ask yourself, right, is this right for my players? Is it right for the groups of people that I'm working with? Is it right for the environment I'm working in? Is it is it feasible to put this practice on or is it feasible to coach in this particular way based on the constraints that I'm under? So, for instance, if Tony's working with his players three three days a week and he's getting two hours each each session, but, you know, I'm a beginner coach and I've only got one hour a week, there's no way that I can fit in one hour a week, what Tony's able to do in his six, it's not going to happen. So it's got, it's about prioritizing as well. And I think that's probably one of the key things I'd say about, you know, beginner coaches, being able to prioritize what it is that you want to get out from the session. And again, linking back into another conversation we had a few weeks back around coaching for them and not for me. Am I trying to get the best out of them? And recognizing that it, it might not be how I necessarily want it to look, but if it, works for them if it feels right for them if it helps them and they enjoy it then do i need it to look any different if that makes sense i think there's loads in there and i completely agree and i think again it's context is key isn't it and there's probably a huge advantage where i think sometimes whether we've got an hour or two hours we're often in this like mad rush to cram as much in as possible. I, I mean, the beginner coach, me, I'm, I don't know if you were the same, but a lot I see it a lot with other coaches is that you've got all these ideas and they want to want to rush, want to put these sessions together, these activities, move from one to the next. But how well have we planned for the players who are in front of us? And which is linked to one of the points you made there. I think it's a great one. And actually just thinking like, what is in front of us? Who are the people in front of us? We don't always need to move on. You know, so as a beginner coach, it's being comfortable that you can actually stay with something and repeat content. I see a lot of coaches where they're maybe scared to do the same thing over and over again because they're worried that the kids will get bored. Oh, we did that last practice. And I would argue, well, hang on a minute. You know, we did it last practice, but let's say you had an hour. How long were water breaks? How long were your transition times? How long was your instructions, your talking? How long was all these other things? And then quantify that, but even with the design of the practice, how many touches, how many opportunities, active learning the kids got? Are we assuming then that that 20 minutes of an hour off, if we're lucky, you know, hopefully it's more, whatever minutes they actually quantified though, that each player got, how much of that minute, going back to like ball rolling time and things like that, is that going to make learning happen, you know? There's nothing wrong with doing things over and over again. I think often a lot of coaches, they want to try and totally redo the script. But actually, you could probably do the same practice and just tweak it in little ways and keep with the same stuff over and over again each week. Great point, Gerard. I mean, I say to coaches all the time, like, now I probably only use maybe a variation of about eight to ten, max 11 types of sessions. Um, largely because, well, they do everything I need them to do, but more specifically because I realise because they do everything I need them to do, I no longer need to keep designing new practices because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. My my practice does what it says on the tin. It allows me to get what I need to get out of it, and that's what the players need. Now, it, it saves me so many things. In ter- it saves so much time in terms of planning, in terms of 
re-explaining new practices to players. And that's not to say that we're not going to put different tweaks, different constraints, different ways in which you can further vary the practices. But it means that the foundations of the practices are there to the point where we're spending more time working on the detail within the session and the interactions with the players around the, the content of the session than the actual organisational aspects of the session itself. Um, but because they've got used to the framework of what the session looks like, it allows also for me to have more conversations with them around right how they might want to develop it, how they might want to change it, how they might want to increase the challenge within it. Understanding or already having an understanding of what the mechanics and the outcome of the practice is designed to designed to achieve, if that makes sense. And then... Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm, sorry, you're still going. Yeah, yeah, no, I was just going to add one, one, one last point, um, linking back to something that we, we spoke about before. And it was the coaching facilitating piece. If you really want to, you know, avoid something as a beginner coach, spend less time commentating on what's happening and more time observing, diagnosing, correcting, feeding back around what you're seeing. Um, and that's you know that links into what you were saying about you know not just focusing on the ball. I'm working with you know a few different coaches at the moment, and one of the key things that has come out from the group that I'm working with is, oh yeah, you know how, how do I get better at my observations? And I'm thinking, well, you what you need you need to watch the game, but you know you need to challenge yourself and what it is you're actually looking for. Are you watching the game, or are you following the ball? Now, if you're following the ball, that's all you're going to see. If you're watching the game, you're going to see what has happened on the ball, around the ball, away from the ball. You're going to see what has a direct impact on one player from another. And it's not based on just technical factors. It could be the fact that actually where you're looking at just on the ball, you think that there might be an error with, I don't know, someone's ability to pass the ball. But actually, what's actually happened there is... When you stick, take a step back, you identify the person that they were trying to play it into wasn't in a clear passing lane in the first place. So that actually might be where the error breaks down or where the, where the moment breaks down. So just you know, a very kind of brief example of what those things could be that you might be missing out on in the initial stages. Absolutely. I love it. I think this is great. It's... It resonates with me a lot because I was watching one of the games I was watching this morning. I noticed that again, the, the coach is sort of diagnosing what's gone wrong in terms of one of the goals we conceded, but actually, the, the detail or the information is incorrect because, to your point, he's not actually identified what led up to that, the actions that happened before that that led to the goal. So, everything he's seeing is in reaction to as opposed to playing in the future and actually looking off the ball and seeing, well, hang on a minute, my goalkeeper start position, where's my also my, my central defender? Where's his start position? Where did the ball originate from? All these type of things versus looking and then all of a sudden, oh, we lost possession, I'm following the ball. Oh, wait a minute, this has happened, you need to do this. And making generalisation, you know, general comments. So there's no actual detail. But and going back to the session as well, I would love it if coaches spent, did the same practice and then repeated that same practice the following week, whether they've got a 90-minute session or 60 minutes, and did it again and again, and then repeated it again. Because actually, there's a lot of detail we can go into. You know, we haven't mastered it yet. The kids haven't mastered it. And even then, we can still push and stretch and challenge. 
So I would love it if coaches, you know, there's a practice we're doing recently within our indoor um, training. And it's just basic how you can outplay out think in a 1v1. And really simple practice where you've got target players at either end. There's a 1v1 duel in the middle or a 2v2 with the challenge being that when you receive the ball off the player who serves it in, how can you work together if it's with a partner, connect to get the ball forward or individually go forward? Or if it's a 1v1, how can you find a way to play forward to the opposite target player to, to score? And they can work at both ends and you can make it directional and so on. But you think like there's loads in that and there's little constraints to your point. You know, one of the things we're playing futsal in the winter. So one of the rules that we introduced was when the server plays it in a bit like the goalkeeper, it can't go back. It must go off another player for an opponent before you can play back. So it forces that player to have to be able to play forward. You know, there's other rules that we introduced. Like how can you move to lose him? How can you step across him? How can you roll him? How can you do this? How can you do that? How can you do a no-touch turn? How can you twist and get faced up? How can you have a protection? You imagine like, that's a lot. There's loads of details in there where your first touch is going to to eliminate the defender. You know, all the all the you know to use Tony's point in a few episodes before key factors relating to like first touch. So I just think like we often we have these practices. And then we just move on because we think, oh, we've covered that. But how well have we covered it? And actually, there's a lot more we can expand into. So, you know, it's it's don't be scared to do that as a coach because it won't get boring for the kids. And you can tweak it and adapt it. And actually, you'll find that it's more depth than breadth. So, no, good stuff. And there's a couple of people who want to chat about the weight of it. Great, great, great point there. And you just reminded me of, conversation I was having with someone over the last I think it was I think it might have been yesterday yeah I had a conversation with a coach yesterday we was having a, a talk and he was saying how one of his play you know they was talking telling me about how he coaches and how his philosophy is and all of this stuff and I was thinking okay that's great but you know how are your players um and he's he, I my my comment was and my statement was to a group of coaches yesterday you need to approach your environment in this way. And, you know, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, Jared. I said, when your players are doing something well, it's because they're doing it well. When they're not doing it well, it's because you haven't coached them well enough. And he, what, this one particular coach was, he, you know, he, 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 he challenged that and he says, yeah, but I know I can coach. I, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned it to them so many times. I said, yeah, but you might have mentioned it so many times, but if they still ain't got it, then how effective are you as a coach? He goes, no, but they, they understand it. I know they understand it. Okay, fine. I don't know if you've checked or you haven't checked understanding, so that's the first thing. Second thing, um, how have you gone about checking their understanding? If you have. Have you just asked them, do they understand it? If they said yes, are you satisfied with that? But even if they've said yes to that, He's gone on to say that this, you know, this one particular individual has made the same mistake about fifteen or twenty times in a game, maybe even more. That's it. And I said, so when, are you, at what point are you going to support them? Oh, yeah, we're going to wait till half time. Okay, but what happens if those fifteen or twenty occasions have really happened from the minute from the first minute? You're telling me you're not going to say a single thing? Because well, I can't affect that. Of course you can. Um, so you know, it kind of links back into this conversation. Don't think that you're only able to intervene when there's breaks in a game. Yes, of course, you can't stop the match and say something to them. 
However, you can pull them aside. You can have that word in their ear. You can you can give them some prompts. You can make sure that you check and understand. You can make sure you're referencing back to previous conversations that you might have had. There's so many ways in which you can impact the player within the game. But one of the biggest things I would say that I've I've, I've picked up over the years and you know that's really kind of helped me in game management, if you like, is stop trying to affect the player on the ball. <laughs> Affect the players away from the ball because they're probably the ones who are going to take it on board most. By trying to affect the player on the ball, you're probably disrupting their flow of thought. You're probably disrupting the decision-making processes. So, you know, that's one of the things I, I, I would say, just to kind of um, tell back in off what you said previously. No, I love it. And I think, you know, it's a great segue just to open up. There's a few people in the waiting. The only thing I would add to that is, I completely agree, is um, it's a bit like when coaches win, it's all me. But when they lose, oh, it's the players' fault. You can't have it both ways. I'm actually the other way, where if they win, because they're playing the game, you're not playing the game. So for me, I completely agree with you. You know, it's we should be looking at ourselves first and thinking, what can we do better? If the players are doing well, it's the players. And if they're not doing so well, what can I do as a coach to support that? Now, granted, not everything is in our control either. You know, if you're up against good opposition or more experienced players or more organised players, you could have the best coach in the world. Might not change the results or the outcome of the game, but then it's the journey and the process, you know, that we should be focusing on of, like, what support have we given the players within the game to become better, to learn from those experiences. So, completely agree with you. And I think... It just these are just real key nuggets for for anyone listening. I think wherever you are in that stage, we're saying beginner coach, but actually, it's probably relevant even for coaches who are more experienced, just to take a step back, because I'm having a big problem with it now, where I see a lot of coaches on ball coaching, and they're fixing problems, and it's not to say you can't help the players, because sometimes. Certainly to win, you know, there's a tweet I saw earlier from Con- someone, uh, I can't remember if it was Paul McGuinness or someone, commenting on Conte, where he's saying, Give, you know, it's almost like play that pass. And th- how many of us have done that in a game? You know, and I get it. And there might be times where you say, hey, just give it down the line or whatever, as an example. And you've done that. But of course, if we keep doing that for them, we're just performance, you know, and we're just telling them what to do, we're playing it for them. We've got to make sure that they've got the tools to be able to do that themselves. And I think there's so many coaches that just do that on ball, isn't there, Yaz? But actually, it's the actions that occur off the ball that will lead to better decisions on the ball. So how can we look off the ball? What are we noticing by doing that? And it's the art of noticing, isn't it? Which is a, I think that takes years. I don't think any beginner coach walking off is going to be very good at that. I think that's something that we've really just got to keep working on. I totally agree with you. I think you know there's a key thing there. It's it's not just that it's necessarily going to take a long time. I think it can be quicker if you know what it is you're looking for. And just to tail back in onto something that you said a few moments back, you know, you mentioned about correcting a problem. Now I don't see it as even correcting. I think just I think you're masking it. You're delaying <laughs> delaying the outcome. You know, um, if the players are getting your support, are getting direction and getting clear clear instructions, if you like, on a match day rather than you checking and challenging them and querying why they're doing what they're doing and getting them to think about a bit more about what they're doing, are you really correcting the problem? I'm not sure. But there's a few different people in the conversation here. 
think um I think a massive thing is getting your players to actually buy in to what it is you're doing. So I think uh, Gerard or Gerard said just now. Um, God, I lost it then. Sorry, I literally forgot what you <laughs> forgot what I was trying to say. But um, about being uh, t- you said basically about being tactically a great coach. You know, it might not mean anything if you're playing against better opposition. Um. If your players are truly buying into what you're doing, you know tactics. Basically, if your players don't buy into you, then tactics don't mean nothing anyway. You know, so it's it's very important to get players to buy into what you're trying to achieve, buy into your philosophy as a coach in the first place. So it's something for beginners. I believe it's very important to make it clear what it is you're trying to achieve, make it clear what your philosophy is, where you're trying to go with your players. And um, that, that helps you in the long run, really. Tactic, tactically, it comes into it a lot, but, you know, this is not for everyone, but me personally, getting players to buy in is always a huge, huge part for me. Just a quick one on that, Adam, you know, before we move on to someone else. For yeah. you then... What would that process look like in terms of you getting there buying? So, um, I mean, a lot of it's a, a positive, a, a very sort of positive vibe. You, you have to build a vibe within within your team, you know, within your coaching staff. There has to be a good vibe around. Everyone has to be on the same page. Um for the players to really sort of buy in. I mean, if you, and, and, and in a way, I mean, things have to be going, things have to be going your way as well, I suppose. You know, if it's, if it's not working, you have to try different things. It, it's, it's always a lot easier when things are going your way, but it's something that I would always try to do is build that positive environment within your players, within the staff. And, in generally, I just speak from experience. In that's helped me. It's it's always seems to be a better working environment if everybody's on the same page and everybody's sort of going in the same direction. No, I definitely understand. I definitely get where you're coming from. It would, it would just been interesting to get a bit more insights around how you go about getting everyone on that same page in the first place. Um, to be fair, I mean, you know, we have, you know, we set a clear sort of, we set, we set clear goals, targets. So individual targets for players, uh, targets for units within your side, targets for the team and sort of slowly tick them off. I mean, these can be very, very small targets or, you know, huge targets, depending on, depending on the players, you have to know, it's, it's very good to get to know your players and know what you you feel they need or speak with them about what they think they might need. It's a process, like I suppose. So, you know, you can only do this over time. And, you know, this is like, this is my opinion. This is not necessarily for anyone else, but... <clears throat> It generally works for me in that way. I mean, I, I hope I'm answering the question. <laughs> but, um, 
But yeah. Yeah, no, I get what you're trying. I get what you're trying to say. No, um, I think you know. I think you're. I think you're spot on. Again, you know, getting everyone on the same page is definitely going to help you get that buy-in from the players and hopefully get clearer messages across the board, regardless of who the interactions with. And no, I really appreciate that, Tony. Talk to us, man. Good evening, everyone. Um, some good points as usual. Um, and before I before I do make a point, I'd like to say uh, to yourself and, and Gerard. Thanks for doing this. It's great to see actually this week some some new faces. A lot of uh, seems to be a lot more people starting to pick up on it now and join in. I want to take the conversation back to the original question um, because I think the conversation, as good as it is, has kind of drifted away from the what should I avoid as a beginner coach? You know, the beginner coach for me needs to uh, kind of. Th- there was a phrase that we used to get shouted at us a lot in the army, know your stuff, never bluff, practice what you preach. Um, and I think that they're really important for the beginner coach. You know, you if you're, if you're just starting out on your coaching journey, yes, a mentor is going to be great if you can get one. But I think most of us will know that in, in grassroots football, we start out as, uh, this wasn't my case, but um, most grassroots coaches start out as parent coaches they they're desperate for for whatever help that they can get my advice would be to by all means pinch sessions from twitter facebook people's books anything but before you put it on decide what it is your players need what do your players want to get from that session and can you then extract it from the little bit that you're stealing from. And if you can't, then then don't try and do it because your, your players will pick up on it. They'll sense that you don't know what you're talking about and you'll start to damage your um, credibility, I guess, as a coach. And when you're first starting out, that's the last thing that you need. Um, so I, I guess that would be just me trying to, drag it back to that level where some of the people that might have jumped on board tonight are not as experienced as as some of uh, the rest of us. Um, so, you know, don't get too far out of your depth because it's a lot easier to uh, to sink than it is to swim sometimes. I think it's an absolutely fantastic point, Tony. I think just on that as well, you know, it just reminds me of a conversation I had, I had with a coach um, not too long ago where... They eventually admitted I didn't know my stuff. And whenever players would come to me and they'd put me in positions where it was essentially challenging me and checking my knowledge, and it wasn't a thing where the player was actually trying to catch them out in any way, but they just happened to find themselves in situations where players maybe have asked certain questions or um, challenged certain things just to kind of build their understanding and knowledge of it, not necessarily to catch the coach out. The coach then realised, actually, I don't know my stuff. And I'm and I'm and I'm just ushering them away here, and not actually dealing with the query or the or the or the, or the challenge that's been put to me. Um, and it, it, again, it comes back to your point: if you don't know your stuff, you know you're in real big danger of damaging that credibility. And you know, if they don't know straight away, they will find out eventually. <laughs> that's all I can say on that one. Yeah, uh, the other point that I'd like to make, uh, going back to both again, Gerard and yourself, in talking about. A lot of 
and I, again, I, I just want to focus on the beginner coach because that was the, the heading. The beginner coach is naturally going to focus on the ball and coaching on the ball because that's where they're, you know, they're coming at it from a playing perspective or a spectating perspective and the eye is naturally drawn to the ball. We watch football on TV, we can't see the big picture, so we look at the ball. And I do think that we need to be careful about condemning that too much. Yes, it is. it does form an early part of the coaching pathway to say, you know, on the ball, around the ball and away from the ball. But if we're talking about the beginner coach, we have to accept that a lot of their focus to start off with is going to be in that immediate area of the ball. And and again, that's where your mentor or, or an assistant coach can can play a massive part. Yeah, I agree with that, Tony, actually. I think, especially with the coaches that I'm seeing at the minute, I completely agree, and we've all been there, haven't we? I guess I've got a question back for you is, how would you, from some of your experiences, how would you try and support that beginner coach? And it could be anyone, couldn't it? It could be a parent, volunteer, that's never even coached the sport before. It could be someone that has played whatever level, but they're in that journey. How would you support them? Because ultimately, I think it always comes back to you know, there's something Yaz was mentioning earlier. When you're coaching, though, do they even know what they're looking for? You know, a lot of these guys, they don't know. They might not have a good understanding of the game, might not have that technical detail. So then do they even know what to look for? From your experience, how would you even tap into some of that just to improve it? I think it helps if you've got a particular focus in mind for that week. So it might be based on what you've worked on in training or... You know, if you're in an academy or a or a pro club where you've got a syllabus in place that the, the focus is there for you. So the focus for that weekend's game, that Saturday or Sunday's game, is is very specific. So you could have an assistant um, who keeps an eye on the focus while you keep an eye on the game and the momentum. Um, you could get your parents involved by asking them to look for certain things if you're a grassroots club or... Or the easiest thing is for someone to film it, film bits of it on your phone, film bits of it. You know, if you've got VO, it's great. But then watch it back and don't and forget about the game, but focus on the focus. Love it, absolutely love it. I, I just think there's another there's another key thing to highlight there. Obviously, though, is that you know you talk there about the assistant coach and the mentor. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges we have, especially, you know, I think it's important that we kind of contextualise to some to some point what, what a beginner coach may be considered as. It might not necessarily be someone who's, you know, just because they've got certain qualifications and they've gone up the ladder maybe quote-unquote relatively quickly in a short space of time, they could still be considered a beginner coach. Um, or on the flip side, they might be someone who's been unqualified and hasn't, hasn't really had any formal training or qualifications in that respect, but they've been coaching for a number of years. I think it's important to kind of you know identify what that beginner coach could look like potentially as well, and recognizing that often we say you know go and observe other coaches, go and do this, go and do that. But as a beginner coach, I think I think that one of the key things and you kind of links into what you said there as well, Jared, is if they don't know what they're looking for, how are they going to start to find it? And I think that that applies also within a, within a mentoring and observational perspective too. It's 
you you don't know what you don't know and essentially what ends up happening is you go and observe a coach you think has been coaching five six seven eight nine ten twenty years but they're still doing the same stuff they did 20 years ago and not to say that that's always a bad thing but it clearly shows they haven't kind of been progressive with their approaches now for some people to say, yeah, I've been working with this guy. For, you know, he's he's had twenty years experience. I've been I've been watching his sessions every week. Or, you know, in some cases, I've, I've been I've been observing the UEFA A license coach. It doesn't, qualifications don't mean anything. Experience is experience is the key, and you know, I'm sure you guys will agree with that as well. So, I guess the challenge is, <coughs> well, the question rather is, if you were advising a beginner coach now on some characteristics to look out for, what would those be for you, Tony, and and yourself, even Gerard? I'll let Tony answer that one first because I've got something popped in my mind earlier from what you said. I don't, I don't want to forget it. I just, um, I just try and make sure that I've got somebody with me who can help me build on that experience. And, and as I mentioned before, having a, having a weekly focus, not just not just the, the the result is the result can become the focus for some people, and I get that if if you play in. Where, where points mean your job or, or points mean money and sponsorship and all the rest of it. But for the majority of people, you know, who are going to get involved in, hopefully, in these discussions, and I can see from, from the people that are, you know, listening and watching, um, we've, we've got a big variety. So whatever your level is, then, then gear your focus towards that. If, if your focus is participation and making sure your kids come back each and every week, then your focus has got to be on them enjoying it. If your focus is on three points or I'm getting the sack, then then your focus needs to be much more laser sharp and, and, and geared in into winning. What whichever whichever it is, you can only benefit from having somebody who is prepared to work alongside you and you to be and you to work with that person rather than take the whole world on your shoulders I like that a lot and I think a big lasting message there is what level are you working at participation coach, performance coach that's a huge one isn't it, absolute great point because again it comes back to like what I think it's a great question to ask anyway what motivates them and why are they here so if we're talking about the players What's the reason why they're playing for you? What, what's the level they're playing at? And then, obviously, it's having that context in mind. Something I just wanted to add, two points. The, the, the first one to your question, Yaz, I think a great one is learning through the players. And I've done this with elite coaches and I've done this with grassroots coaches. I'm doing it even now with some of the, the coaches that I'm working with. And if they don't know what to look for or they haven't necessarily got all the, the technical knowledge in the world or whatever just through observation, learning through the players' experiences, seeing it through their eyes. So I've got them to go, hey, come over here, just have a look at this. All right. So what do we notice about this in this little duel here? So how has he got past him? Oh, took big touches. He's got brilliant. Okay, so that's whether he's linking with running with the ball. Or actually, what do we notice? So what, how did he get success? Or how can he, what, what was difficult about it when he lost the ball as he's carried? Oh, okay. So then, and then again, you could link that to dribbling, whether it's keeping the ball close to your feet, when to make a late but quick movement, how to disguise your move, all these things, the type of pass, 
I think being really clever is you don't necessarily have to learn, know everything. And that's probably applicable to any level, really, in that, you know, the, I'm going to steal that phrase now Tony's used it, not to bluff. I think it's great. You don't have to, but you can learn through the players. Just through observing them, you will be able to recognise and reflect on what does good look like when it didn't go well, what were some of the reasons why, if you can break it down and have a think about it? And that can develop your your quality eye, if you like. Um, and then the only other thing about going off on one, which is a, <laughs> another one, I think uh, a question I've got is, I know we're all talking about the beginner coach and we know what context we're talking about. We're talking about that novice who's coming in, starting at the beginning. What are some of the things we want to avoid? The question I've got in my mind is, are we always a beginner coke, uh, coach? Because, you know, when I think about it now, it's only because of something you said, Yaz, it triggered a, a thought in my mind. The first time I worked at under-21 level, I was a beginner coach. I'd never coached players in the professional development phase. Didn't necessarily have that experience. And I, I, I could coach, but I hadn't coached with players like that. Or the first time I'd ever done first-team, like I remember being a, a non-league manager. I'm dealing with men and some of them are older than me. Again, I was a beginner coach at that level. Do you know what I mean? The first time you're an academy coach, beginner coach. First time ever being a, when I was the first ever uh, director of coaching or whatever. So are we always, no matter role, you know, there's a few people at different levels here. We've got people who are working at, you know, in the pro game, we've got people working at college level, we've got people working at academy level and grassroots and everything in between. At some point, they'll have been beginner coaches based on the stage that they're working at. So I guess that's a great question is what, you know, what should you avoid for that? How can you become more adaptable? How can you recognize your strengths and strengths in others where other people have got certain experiences and how can you leverage that to adapt and learn very quickly? Because a lot of the time, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of learning on the fly because I think you kind of have to. Sorry, yes, you got your hand up. Yeah, no, I was just going to respond to the previous point, but I'll start with that one that you just mentioned. I think you're, I think you're spot on. That beginner coach piece, into, into, you know, once you, even when you step into a new environment with, with new players, even if it's an age group that you work with, you know, you technically speaking, you you become a beginner again, don't you? Because you have to learn about your players, learn what makes them tick, learn learn what doesn't work, work so well. But linking back into your previous point, when you're going into that environment, you're going to get some experiences around observation of other coaches that might be doing similar types of things. I think the question to ask is, a beginner coach, <laughs> why are you doing it that way? And I think that's probably the biggest question you can ask. Really check and challenge the coaches around you and ask, you know, find out whether they understand why they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, coming back to the previous point, um, you mentioned about observation. And I think one of the things that helped me was... Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'd look at, you know, let's just say, for instance, passing as an example. And I'd look at a number of different players that play in passes that I'm, you know, I might, you know, if you like, admire. And I'd be right. These are the types of passes I'm seeing from XYZ. How is this person doing it? How is this person doing it? How is this person doing it? Now, what I try really try and focus on is what are some of the consistencies across maybe their technique and some of the variables that exist. And then the biggest question I've all, I always ask is, what would impact on that player's ability to execute that? So, you know, then we, then we start thinking about time, distance, space, options, angles, and you know all these other things that start to come up. And you know, that's the one, you know two two probably big questions that ask. Uh, beginner coaches to consider whether it's at the start of their journey as a novice or it's going into a new environment for the first time what are the things that impact on the players and if you are taking things from other people and observing other people do it have you have you really sought the rationale behind it we've got Kweku here let's, let's, let's bring Kweku up and let's see what he's got to say for us I hope I haven't butchered your name, mate. Good evening, Kweku. Okay, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> um, anyone else got anything they want to add? Mike, anything you want to add there? Yeah, good evening, everyone. An interesting conversation. Um... As I just said to you, yes, on a direct message, I think when I was first starting out in coaching um, and, and and I sort of see other coaches that are sort of starting off, off you know, from scratch, if you like, that one of the things that I think we all fall into the trap of is trying to coach everything at the same time. Um, we look around and we see so many things that we think could be better and we try and put our limited focus across multiple players doing multiple things at multiple times and you end up coaching nothing if you do that, I think. So I think it took me a long time to learn that I can't coach everything at the same time. I have to have a focus. I have to have a plan and I have to try and really sort of observe something specific from a set number of players or units um, or indeed the whole team and really try and hold myself accountable to just focus on that. Otherwise, you end up being a bit scattergun and, and kind of random acts of coaching, I guess. No, I think it's a great point, Mike. You know, I, th- I think, you know, it's one that I kind of completely missed myself in terms of leading up to this conversation. I see coaches do it all the time. I think it's that, co- it's that, it's that debate, isn't it, of breadth versus depth. You know, am I, am I covering everything or how much am I going to cover or am I just going to talk about everything I see? But sometimes I think that comes down to the vulnerability of the coach as well. Um, being able to accept, actually, I don't know enough about that, so I'm just going to switch the attention and focus to this instead. But linking back into something that Tony said earlier as well about knowing your stuff, and even Gerard, you mentioned something about it as well, is learn through the players. Sometimes it's okay. Like, I mean, I've, I've actually found situations in the past where you know, I'll, I'll, I don't think I've ever had to say to a player, I don't know the answer to that question. But 
what I have been able to do is put myself in vulnerable positions where we try a new practice, we try something new, and I say, you know, and I'll be open. I say, look, I'm not sure how this is going to pan out. I don't know whether this is going to work, but this is what I'm hoping to see. This is the reason why, and let's see where it goes. And I think those little bits there where you bring that vulnerable side to you as a coach, you could definitely build a lot of credibility with them and a lot of trust with them and, you know, a shared understanding and, and linking even back into what Adam was saying earlier, get their buy-in because they're, you know, they, they are, in some ways they make you make it feel like as if you're on the journey with them rather than you're the one always telling them what to do if that makes sense yeah I've, I've got to say you've triggered a thought in my mind and I completely agree with everything because I remember trialing something on set pieces once this was with Ray and with Bradford but I honestly didn't know if it was going to work and I was sort of luckily I had buying from the players but I'd also said to the lads look if, if it goes wrong it's on me so I've sort of took the pressure off them and we tried it in games and actually we did it in, we ended up growing and tweaking it and it was certain ways to defend on a corner, certain ways to defend on uh, a free kick, a direct free kick, which I don't see many teams do in the sense of like not having a wall and things like that. Anyway, we've tried it and then I was actually uh, talking to the keeper and getting his feedback and learning through his eyes. She's like, well, if it was me, I think I need to. I'd rather be stood here so that I can see this. And it was unbelievable. So I'm actually getting loads like learning from the lads. We end up making it uh, really successful. Obviously, did it against various teams, didn't concede until eventually come up against one that figures it out. And then it's like, right, okay, how do you adapt it again? So again, I think it's a great, it's a great shout. There's a lot that you can do around buy-in, being vulnerable. You know taking risks but seeing it as a learning journey as a process we're going on this journey together learning through their experiences tapping into what the players know tapping into the perception of the players getting their insights granted they were older you know they weren't u10 the the example i gave there was effectively it's like under 21s upwards so they're obviously adults but yeah definitely food for thought adam you had your hand up there mate no, just what uh, Gerard was saying. Um, so, like player ownership and sort of getting their insight into things is again, like I, I love the point. Like it's massive, and you learn from that. It's it's sometimes so as a beginner coach as well. You could forget that you, a lot a lot of the time you could make it all about you when it is actually it's it's about the players. You know, the players matter so much and. They're the ones out there doing the job. So you can give them all the information in the world. You know, a, a lot of it goes AWOL when they go out on the pitch anyway. Um, so getting that that insight from them, what they actually think, is a great sort of point for beginner coaches, you know, to, to what do you, you know, speaking with the players, what do you think? What do you, what do you reckon? What, what Like, it's just... It's such a sort of a good way to go about things. I, I would, I personally recommend that to, to you know, if, if I'd have known that back when I started, it's something that I would have took on board straight, like straight away. Or well, back then I'd have probably thought, "What are you talking about?" You know, but um, now I would think it's something definitely, definitely take on board. Speak with the players, see what they think. You know, give them little, um, give them little pointers. Give them like, "What do you think about this? What about that?" Um, but you know, it's good to hear back from them. And sometimes you'll be like, okay, 
you know, I, yeah, I like that. Okay, yeah. And then you work from there and then maybe you can build together and work around that. No, I think some great points there. And I think the really the key thing that comes back to me is vulnerability. I think that takes a lot of vulnerability from the coach because they don't know where that journey or that conversation is going to end up. End up, And it might be something they haven't considered. So it puts them in a bit of a land of unknown sometimes. I think it's a difficult one, but you've got to try and embrace that from early on. The earlier you can embrace it, the, the quicker you can get those insights from the players and share and have a shared understanding of where they're trying to get to and what, what you're trying to get out of them and build to you know marry those two things up. I would just add to that. I've been put on the spot a few times um, where somebody's asked me a question and I haven't 100% understood the question. I think I've got an idea and I don't really have an answer off the top of my head and it's a team talk. And so I just said, what do we think about that? And just throw it back in a Q&A style. And then you start to gather your thoughts as you hear what the players think and then you can sort of take their collective learning in the moment and direct it the way that you think it needs to go. I think that's spot on. And I think, you know, within that, you start to, you really start to unpack some of the considerations which you, which you might not have made yet. Um, so I think it's definitely a great way to do it. And I think even going down to sometimes, you know, you mentioned there about players throwing a question at you. Sometimes if you don't have the understanding of the question fully, then you know, you can't really support them. So I think it's just as important as a coach as it is for a player to really make sure that we fully understand what the message is. So if I'm giving a player a message, I sometimes still catch myself doing it where I say to them, right, does that make sense? But actually, no. I'll always catch myself in the moment and I'll be like, right, who can explain to me what I'm actually what I'm actually um, talking about here or what I'm looking for or who can show me? Um, and I don't always get that just so there is, there's a true understanding and true uh, recognition from me that they're actually on the right track in terms of where I want to take the conversation or I'm on the right track of where they want to go with it as well. Adam, go for it, go for it man. I'm just going to say on that note, I think, you know, all players and, and, and as we, we see them as people first. But I mean, you know, we all learn in sort of different ways. So, like you say, trying to get that understanding. Certain players might not understand when you just tell them something. Some players need to be shown. Some players need to be shown in a physical and some players need to be shown on the board. Some it's everybody learns differently, you know. So it, it's it, it. Nothing happens overnight. It's just sort of you need to gain the understanding of of your players, and you need to understand them as people and what makes them tick, and how how can I really help this person? How how am I going to get get them to take on this information I'm trying to give them? Because this person's doesn't understand it the same way as this person. So. Again, you know, that's learning them as people. And what's the best way for me to get this message across this point? A hundred percent. And I say to coaches all the time that one of the things that I've been able to do, you know, with most of my groups is really early on, I look at, you know, I don't necessarily agree, but, you know, with, with the whole idea of learning styles necessarily. But what I do try and do is, what do prefer, people prefer to do? Do people prefer to be in the demo? Do people prefer to watch it? Do people prefer to, just to give me instruction and crack on with it? Are they able to do that? And those ones that are able to do that often use them as the initial players that might do some demonstrations. It might not be the best demonstration, but if there's a bit of an understanding of what it is they're trying to do, hopefully that's enough of an image for everyone else to kind of see and experience. Um, but no, some great, some great stuff there. Natasha, go for it. 
So first of all, apologies because I must have missed part of the conversation. Um, for me, uh, if you want me to go, do you want me to go for what I think we should avoid as beginner coach? I'm more than happy to go with uh, over coaching. I think what I found uh, happening most of the time, I found myself happening most of the time before doing the wafer C or wafer fee is um, try to coach everything, uh, everything that you see. Um, whereas probably as somebody said uh, earlier when I was listening to the conversation, having really a clear idea what is the session, what you want to coach and instead of uh, managing the situation, which is the risk that you do, you have when you um, try to overcoach everything, uh, is just focusing on even one thing. I, I now narrow down to three points for, per session uh, and have really clear from your, as a re having ref clear references for yourself and the players. So, and that just uh, praise those three points during the coaching instead of uh, overcoaching all the time. But that's me. No, I think it's a great point. I think it's, for me, it's definitely worth having those clear, clear, clear ideas of what you want to get out from the session as a whole. But another key thing, you know, linking back into what Adam said, learn the play, learn the players as people, identify their individual differences and challenges, and you might be. Quite, things beyond or outside those main three key points that you might just do some individual pieces of coaching where you don't have to necessarily stop everyone to speak about it but you notice that this player might need a bit of support here this player might need a bit of support here but you try not to veer too far away from the, sh the key messages of your session Adam we'll go with you first and follow with Mike um, I literally was just going to say that so you know for a beginner coach you're very very much like, oh, I, I need to go, oh, I've seen that, or oh, I've got to coach that, I've said, oh, that's happened, oh, I've got to coach that, and you feel like you need to coach everything. What you've just said is that individual side of things, which and on your journey, you'll learn as you go along that you might have a specific topic that you're coaching, and yes, you do, you, you know, you should stick to that topic based around, um, and, you know, usually beginner coaches will be working with a whole team, so you have a topic that you want to work on with the whole side, and you try to stick with that. But there may be something that you see. And instead of drifting away from your topic, it might be just something individual, you know, where you can pull the player out. It might be a little unit thing where you can pull two or three of them out, you know, and, and have a little chat with them while the session's still running or while they're having a drink, you know, like they're having a little break, just something like that rather than, going and drifting away from your whole topic, you know, and then ending up actually coaching nothing. So, yeah, uh, basically that. I mean, basically what you, what you were saying as well. Great point. Go for it, Mike. Thanks, Yaz. So, um, yeah, I had a question, really. Um, normally when you're a new coach if especially if you're in the grassroots it's not your full-time job you have a whole bunch of other stuff going on and the amount of time that you can dedicate to planning sessions delivering sessions thinking about sessions can sometimes be limited um so i just wondered what your thoughts were on um when you're first starting out on episodic coaching so i.e thinking about blocks of work 
uh, into the future, irrespective of results versus reactive coaching, thinking about what happened last week, what did you observe um, and what do you think that they need to learn next um, as a result of that result? Um, I think I believe that episodic coaching would be ideal and better, um, but not always uh, do new coaches have the time to be able to sit down and, and build a syllabus going forward. So I'd just love to get the, the room's thoughts on that. Gerard, do you want to share some insights on that? Because, you know, you've, you've worked across a, quite a different environments, you know, across different continents as well. Maybe share some approaches that have been taken and some general thoughts on that before I add anything. Yeah, yeah I think sure. it's, it's, oh, sorry. it's a great shout because it goes back to, like, what do we mean by episodic? Because to me, episodic is like each individual session and it's quite reactionary. I don't know if we we're on the same definition or not, but I would say just thinking about other continents, thinking about just good coaching, good practice, there's a danger that if we're reactive, we're, we're missing stuff and you can't make learning stick. So a lot of the good word that I've seen is almost like a spiral curriculum. So obviously, I'm, without going off on a different topic, but if you imagine that we're revisiting messages over time, um, we're planting seeds, but we're we're giving them opportunities where we're, we're fo- we've got a, a laser focus on a topic, but we're also planting seeds on other stuff. But we're building that over time in like a spiral. Versus, for example, some people might block the work where they plan into the future too too far, too extreme, and block practice has its advantages and disadvantages. So you could say, Do you know what, I'm going to work this week on. Isolating, isolating player action. They might be switching play. Next week, working on finishing. Next week, working on this. Or actually, for the next six weeks, we're going to work on how we prevent the opponent from building the attack. Whatever you're doing, you've always got to think about the consequence. Because I see a lot of coaches where they'll plan this out, even the beginner coach, and they'll go, do you know what? We're going to work on these things. But then they'll go, oh, we conceded a goal from set pieces. Oh, we're not very good at playing out from the back. Oh, we didn't do... And then all of a sudden, you start trying to do this, that, and the other, but nothing's really sticking, you know. And, and also, you're trying to cover probably too much and not very well. So it's almost like a scattergun approach versus, again, good practice. I would say I've got to make reference to it because, you know, I've worked in Morocco where I saw things that would challenge my own beliefs because, you know, I, I saw a lot of. Um, a lot of play-centered practices, but I also saw a lot of drills, a lot of practices that were very much command-style type coaching, very instruction-led, very coach-centered. And there's an argument there that, you know, did the players do well because of, like, in spite of the system, not necessarily because of the system, but <laughs> there's a lot of those that would work in a certain way. And yet some of the players that were being produced in Morocco are highly creative, like very creative so I was having to wrestle my brain going, what the hell's going on here, you know? Are they getting through in spite of the system or because of the system? What, what, what's happening? But one thing I looked at was in Morocco, they're incredibly relaxed. You know, it is very much, um, there's these phrases like, beshwe, beshwe, shway, shway. It's like chill, right? When they do a lot of their games, it's play-centered, and there's a phrase that we're using with US soccer in America, and it's called within a play practice play approach. I know with the UEFA C now with the FA, it's whole part whole. 
similar, but in that initial play, it's intentional free play. That's a big phrase that we use a lot on the courses with US soccer. It's intentional free play, meaning that the kids are playing. We're not stopping the practice. We do not stop the game. You can't walk onto the pitch and stop the game. I bet there's a few coaches that wish they could do a timeout, <laughs> but you can't, can you? The only one that can stop that game, unless you smash a second ball and try and cheat <laughs> or do something where you say to one of the players to go down injured, you can't stop the game. The referee can stop the game, but we can't, right? So it's it's letting them play, letting them figure it out. And in that intentional free play, the player's organising the rules. They're organising the shape. They're organising what they're doing. And they're off. And I saw the same thing in Morocco. When they do games, you've got guys in their 50s, never mind, right down to the youngest ages, playing on the street. But they're managing the game. I remember this phrase where some numpty said, oh, kids don't play on the street anymore. I was thinking, well, you clearly haven't been to bloody Morocco. You clearly haven't been to this place or that place. Because... That global statement, I don't know how true it is, you know, because it's it's nonsense. And a lot of these kids are playing on the street. They are finding solutions, but there's a natural freedom. So a lot of the coaches do a lot more coaching in sort of the, hate that word drill, but more the drill type practices. But they didn't really stop or interfere the game. But what they would do is they'd do a lot of drive-by stuff and a lot of stuff where they were pulling people to one side, which you mentioned earlier, didn't you, Yaz? And even just like halftime talk, I thought that's incredible. Like, how often do you run a practice and include a halftime talk? Do you know what I mean? Whereas a lot of people don't. But what we'll do is we'll go into a game on a Sunday and there is a halftime. And how well do we prepare for the second half? The only time we ever talk about preparing for the second half is on the Sunday in the game. Why not introduce these scenario-based coaching, you know, pressure-based coaching in our training environments? So again, like within play, practice, play, there's a halftime talk and you're setting up to counter, you know, what the opposition have thrown at you. You know, we do a lot of scenario-based coaching. I've seen a lot of that in some of the countries I've worked with or they'd call it pressure-based coaching. So they would create scenarios where, you you know, you're 1-0 up, you're 1-0 down. We did it the other day where, um, and this is, a, this is a grassroots coach, by the way, so it's fairly relevant. Grassroots coach, working with his players, they've got a 2-1 lead. How do you manage the lead with 10 minutes to go? You know what I mean? And they did it today. And actually, you know, it, it ended up working for them because in the practice, they ended up losing the lead and losing the game 3-2. So the other team would have, you know, hypothetically gone through to the finals. How often have you seen that in games? Like we've probably all experienced that at grassroots level when you're in a tournament. So I think all these things are things that you can probably start introducing into your own environments. Um, sorry, I hope that's not a lot of information, but just in summary, scenario bases, letting them play, intentional free play being important, actually giving them the freedom to make their own decisions, not interrupting them. There's a big phrase I use a lot, which is minimal disruption, but maximum impact. Minimal disruption, but maximum impact. And I think that's a huge one. And you were talking about that episodic and stuff. For me, within a lot of the stuff, and this will actually come up in some of the things we're going to talk about soon, what it is in the Developing Decision Makers webinar. A little bit of a plug. But um, <laughs> we're obviously talking about like your practice design, but then how do you plan? How do you program your work? 
what does that look like over a period of time so that you're supporting the players' learning? And I would encourage anyone listening um, to really check out uh, Bjork Learning, B-J-O-R-K, um, talks about like learning principles. You've got interleaving, you've got retrieval, things like this. So um, competition is obviously a huge one, but interleaving, meaning that you're introducing different topics and themes over time and you, you, you're interleaving subjects in, but you've got focus on certain things, provide an opportunity where there's a retrieval. So they're having an opportunity to think about what they do and why, drawing from that, you're connecting learning. So, again, simplifying the academic jargon, there's a phrase I use a lot, which is, how can you join obsessions? And I think that's a huge one, mate. I don't know what you think, Yaz, but when you're coaching, or even Tony, joining obsessions. So often we do a practice, going back to your point earlier, Mike, when you said episodic, but then we don't link that previous practice to the next one. So how many of us have done a game, and we've gone, right, Mike, Tony's team's in red, Mike's in blue, bum, 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 play the game. Okay, let's say Tony's team, say it was a draw, 2-2, two, two, or they won foot. But do we continue that game into the next practice? We just leave it. And we act like it, we didn't. We don't keep track of the score. We just let it go and we let it dead. I would revisit that. Like, revisit the points that we've talked about. Revisit the score. Revisit that game. Create as a second half. Join obsessions. Because, you know, if you listen to any of the top players, they all said like they were obsessed to be a player. They were obsessed to learn. How can we find out what they love doing within a session? What makes them come into your practice fun? And and really, like, I'm absolutely heightened that. And I think that's probably at any level, never mind the grassroots, joining obsessions, find out what they're obsessed about and uh, link it to the next practice or next game. Now, I think you've got some great stuff in there, Joe. I think just kind of come back to Mike, your initial question as well, I think... Gerard, Gerard mentioned that, you know, I think with the block practice, it's definitely got its benefits, but, you know, you're in danger of potentially missing stuff sometimes with a reactionary approach. Um, but I think a way to look at it, though, is, you know, you can have your block practice, you can have your, you know, a, a basic scheme of work that you're looking at. And as long as you get through all of it, I think, you, I think you, you know, you, you're somewhat on the way there. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be fixed in the way that you're going to work in terms of, right, I'm going to do four weeks of this or four weeks of that and then, you know, if if you identify there's a need that you know you've got planned in three months' time, but your players really need that content now, then bring that piece forward and move something else back. Look at it in terms of what the priorities are for the players and where they're at, at this point in time. And then just you know, just linking on what Gerard said there. You know, one of the things I do in, in my environment in particular is we'll do a week in possession, we'll do a week out of possession, but the practices will stay the same for two weeks, so the players really get to understand the practices that we're using but we're just shifting the spotlight in terms of where we're actually focusing in terms of the general themes of the night. And, you know, that, that seems to work really well for me because the players really start to get and understand the practice to really, you know, really start to understand, right, this is what it looks like when we're attacking. This is what it looks like when we're defending. This is, these are some of the challenges that we've seen over the last week or so when, when we have been in attacking, play, um, attacking moments. So, right, when we're defending, can we, get the, the attacks to maybe recreate some of those pictures so that we get more and more f specific focuses around those same pictures. But then also exploring with the players, like Gerard said, using team talks. Funnily enough, I, d I did this literally last week where we actually did several little blocks of work with with them having their own team talks at the end of each block, getting them to review that, getting them to, re you know, 
reflect on what went well, what didn't go so well, where, where they could further develop it. And that's similar to the approach that I then use on a match day with the players, where I'll bring them in at half-time or bring them in in quarters, where, depending on where we're playing quarters or halves. And I'll actually get them to reflect, right, what do you think we did well? What do you think, you know, what do you think we could have uh, further developed, both in and out of possession? It might be an individual thing. It might be a, a, a collective thing. But what I'll often do within that process is I'll split them up in their units. So I'll get the defenders and the, and the back four and the goalkeeper maybe just to reflect from their perspective, midfielders reflect from their perspective, front front line respect, um, reflect from their perspective. And really, it's it's a task for me to figure out, right, are they seeing the same things I'm, as I'm seeing? And regardless of where they are on the pitch, have they got similar similar observation about how the game is being played and what's actually happening within the game? Because then it makes my life easier in terms of just drip feeding and just dissecting and maybe elaborating on some of the key moments and information that's come out from those conversations. So just a, a few thoughts and considerations there around, you know, potentially how you might set your work up in terms of your syllabus. And you know, as Joe, Joe had mentioned, we got we, you know we're going to be running a webinar next weekend, not next weekend, sorry, in two weeks' time on Sunday, um, around developing decision makers. But some of this stuff will probably get unpacked a little bit further. And I think. For anyone listening to this, one of the key things I'd say to you is that it, it is their game. You know, it's all well and good us having our views and our opinions and what we want them to be be able to do and where we expect them to be. But if they don't see those same things that we want them to see or we hoping they can see, they ain't never going to get there, no matter how much information we give them. So I think it's really important for us to get them on that page and on that journey as soon as possible. And I think the easiest way for us to do that as coaches sometimes is Let's step away from our role as a coach as we've got the answers and go and join them where they are on the journey. And because we know where we want to potentially take it, along that journey, we can start guiding them, supporting them, directing them and feeding back to them in a way where we can align their journey with the outcome that we've got set. And it might be over time that through those conversations and those dialogues that you're having with the players, that we identify actually the outcome that we thought we wanted to achieve with them isn't actually the outcome that we need to go go for anymore because actually they've got their own views and they've got their own rationale for why they want to get there and actually it's just as it's just as important as maybe the outcome that we potentially had for them as well which again tells back into Adam's point earlier about learning about the players where what do they know what what do they want to achieve and I think again even Joe I'd just say it, what brings them back what brings them to the sessions why are they there and for some of them and this is this is a genuine belief I've got. If you ask them the right questions, you'll get the right answers. I think everyone has the answers. It's just how well we can unpack it and, un- and, and unearth it from them through the questions that we ask. Which leads me on to this you know, final point where how well are we reflecting with our players? So beginner coach, coming back to the topic, at the end of your session, don't ask them if they thought it was a good session. Ask them what they thought was good. Don't ask them what they thought about how you coached. Ask them... What was good? How did it help them? Understand the impact it had. But the biggest question I've started to ask of all my players now is what have you found most useful from today's session? Because that will be different for every single individual and that will allow me to reflect on what information is landing and how it potentially landed and what I did in when I conveyed that message or how it was conveyed to them. So just a few different considerations for you to think about there. Go for it, Adam. Um, just on your point there, mate, is just wanted to quickly say is something that we always do is we do ask the players or individuals, you know, how, how was the session for you tonight? Um, did you enjoy it? You know, but then 
it's never just a simple did you enjoy it yeah it's always a a why so we you know as annoying as it can be <laughs> for someone to sort of put it on you and say yes but why why did you enjoy it it's it gets it, it gets you thinking more you know we even do it with the staff we do it to each other be like how do you how, how did your session go tonight how did you you know and it's oh well, I think it went well yeah but why why do you think it went well and it it makes you really have to sort of think and get out that, well, I think because of this reason or because of that, I really enjoyed this. I didn't quite get that. I didn't quite understand this. or But I, I really took that in. You know, it's that why question of well, what, why why did you enjoy it? It will help you to understand them a lot more. It, it that might just, <laughs> a lot of people might think it's just you being awkward, but it does give you a much better understanding. I think you're spot and I think one of the key things that I, I look to do when I'm with my players in particular, even with coaches that I work with, um, is I ask a lot of questions. By nature, I'm just a curious individual and I want to know the why. I want to know why for everything. So I often set the tone by actually just setting the scene by saying, this is not about me catching you out. It's not about me trying to see whether you're right or wrong. I just want to know where you're at so I can see where I can add some value. And I think that's a key piece and I think building on that another key question I've always asked coaches and players that I work with is what could I do to add more value to you what would it look like if, if you were to receive good coaching from me or could you share with me at a time where you've actually received good coaching that you found impactful now these are questions that they might not typically get asked but it gives me an insight in terms of potentially how I could support them better and more aligned with maybe some of their previous and past experiences so just some things to consider Gerald I don't know if you've got any final thoughts on that man no, not at all, really. I mean, it just comes back to, again, what's the context? I, I think everyone's just got to have a rationale behind why you do what you do, but is your rationale solid? You know, if we're bouncing around, the rationale probably isn't there. We, so it's just having a deep think about why do we do what we do? What's the benefit to the players? Because it all comes back to their individual needs and relevance, doesn't it? You know, what's the relevance to what we're doing? So great stuff covered today. Um, it's definitely one to listen back to as well. 110%. And on that note, guys, you know, quick reminder, we have got a webinar coming up in two weeks' time. Uh, myself and Jordan Robert, Robert running a couple of webinars for the last uh, yeah, two months, really. Um, we're hoping to do one each month for the rest of the season. Um, it is accredited, so if you've got a fan number, you will get your CPD hours. Um, do do check us out. Do you follow us both on Twitter and on Instagram? Find out more about that. Um, I think you've even got it on my pinned tweet. So if you want to know more about the webinar that we're running, please do get in touch. Gerard, just a little bit. Of, oh, we've got Gooty here. Gooty gone. Final, uh, final question. Uh, big ups, everyone. Good evening. I hope everyone's doing well today. Listen, I just want to say I learned a lot from you guys today. You know what I'm saying? I got my notes and book and pen. I'm taking notes. So I want to say to the coach, thank you for uh, educating us on the topic today. And that's it. Very much thanks. Now, I really appreciate it. Guti, I'm just going to ask you a challenging question for you then. Major notes. What was the most useful way? I, I, I don't do well under pressure. <laughs> uh, um, say that again. Could you say that again, sir? Yeah, what was the most useful thing in this conversation taken away tonight? Oh, there's so many. The, the thing that why he said, um, well, I forgot. He said something along the lines where, I'm paraphrasing, uh, take some, but 
big impacts something about big impacts what I picked up you know you can do on on the training ground with with the drills you do with your peers in front of it but yeah but I'm sorry I couldn't be good helpful today but no um, good stuff minimal disruption maximum impact there there we go there we go that's what I was talking about thank you very much and we've got one more that's just added to the list now uh, I can't read Arabic but I'm sure you know who I'm referring to. Uh, tea bag. It says tea. Yeah, tea yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, go for it, man. All right. Um, I've, I've learned so much from this. Um, short space. I want to say I'm a grassroots coach from Ghana, and I recently got into the UK. And I'm looking forward to like. Um, I'm actually an NHS worker. But I'm looking forward to like populate. I don't know how difficult it's going to be. So I'm like um listening to coaches around and like obviously these spaces help me a lot. And then I just want to like summarize what I put down or what I learned from like each and every one of you coaches that spoke. It has been really helpful. The first one is you have to like watch the game and not always follow the ball. That like obviously helps you in your analysis. And then if you're players aren't doing enough, then you're not coaching enough. And the one that um, feels uh, like so helpful to me is like is this, um, make the players feel you're on a journey with them and not someone who always like tells them what to do, like always directing the ship. You have to be like in vulnerable positions for them to like get your opinions out and then you see how best you can help the team through that. And then the last one was a minimal distraction, maximum impact. I don't, I've forgotten the coach who said it, but I think it resounds a lot to me. Like, you don't have to always pause the game and then teach something. You don't have to overcoach. You have to, like, keep your cool and then try to minimal, minimize your distractions and then try to get the best out of each and every one of them. And the last point is, sorry. You always have to ask what the players found useful about the session. You don't always have to go like, was it good? And you were like, yeah, it was good. And that was all. No, you don't dust it that way. So that's pretty much all, all I took from listening to you guys. Um, thank you very much. Eh? No, thank you. Thank you for your feedback. And Mike, go for it, man. Yeah, I just wanted to throw something out there that... Um as the last speaker was um, summarising there, an amazing summary, by the way, of, uh, of the evening so far. Um, something I thought about recently, um, which might be really obvious to more experienced coaches, but I'd never really thought about it. So when I, when I use stop, stand, still to, to look what the picture looks like, it's normally to try and correct something. But some sort of light bulb went off maybe six months ago, maybe not even that long ago. Why don't we do that when something good happened? So we can say, stop, stand still. And they think, oh, here we go. Mike's got something else to moan about. And say, you see how you did that, that and that? That was brilliant. That's what we're looking for. I don't know. Maybe everyone does do that. And I've just been really slow to the party. But I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I think it's a great point, Mike. And just to build on that, you know, one of the things I've started doing is rather than just taking them straight to what I've observed, I get their insights. Right, what can you tell me about what just happened there? just to see whether they actually understood it and saw it themselves. Because I think this is one of the, you know, just linking back into the initial conversation around what should I avoid as a beginner coach is don't just assume because a player's done it, they understand they've done it, or they know they've done it, or they recognise they've done it. Query it, find out whether they actually see it, and then, you know, you get to get a better picture of actually, is the player consciously doing something, 
are they not conscious about it or is it something they're aware of or not and I think that's a, that's a great great place to start from with players as well Gerard want to wrap things up no thank you to everyone who's engaged in tonight I think this is great and again just really appreciate everyone joining in there's been loads of people dipping in and out and hopefully it's inspired some curiosity you know if you can take away this and just think about more questions that you're going to look into to improve your practice because ultimately it's going to make sure that we're creating better experiences and better environments for our players so really thank you to that commitment you know from everyone and look forward to seeing you next week it's the same time every week um and i hope everyone has a great rest of the weekend definitely i just kind of round up as well just they're linking back in to what tony said when he first jumped on it's great to see you know that you know we've been doing this for a little while now and seeing some regular faces but seeing some you know new ones tonight and it's it's great to have everyone involved as well so Guys, please make sure you're following myself and Gerard. Stay in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts on the conversation that was taking place tonight and any other conversation that take place in the future. Um, you can find more of this content on the Coaches Network podcast and the ULMB platform. Gerard, you want to tell them a little about that? Yeah, so anyone who's, who's interested, there's going to be more content being added for all levels. At the minute, there's a lot of content on there, probably for more, I'd say, advanced coaches, coaches who have been coached for a number of years whether that be as a C license or an A license we've got coaches on there with a pro license who are tapping into different courses but we are adding some new stuff as well for people working at the lower end of the spectrum uh, digital platform where it's a free app uh, download the app you can access a ton of stuff that goes beyond the X's and O's so it's not just about session plans or session designs or I hate the word drills but drills um, there's plenty of that all over the place, but it's actually like really deep diving into understanding the why and and what underpins uh, why you do what you do. So there's courses on analysis, practice design, decision making, you name it, feedback, anything that you're looking for. Um, you can individualize your learning. So check it out. Uh, the handles in my on my uh, Twitter, and again, you can also get some mentoring. You know, if anyone's looking for a mentor whether it be through myself or Yaz, there's all those opportunities as well. 100%. Guys, you know, once again, thank you again for your time tonight and your participation. Everyone that's listened or just share their views, really appreciate it. And <clears throat> again, you can find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, get following us and keep an eye on the upcoming webinars because we've got some great content coming out very soon um, and hopefully soon there'll be a live event too for everyone to connect face to face so guys do stay in touch let us know your thoughts and until next week guys have a great evening well there you have it guys another episode of the Coaches Network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.